Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Brendan. I'm on the engineering team here at LogRocket, and joining me today is Brandon Baer, CEO and co-founder of Flight Control. Uh, Brandon joined us way back at the beginning of 2021 to talk about Blitz.js, and now he's back, fresh from Y Combinator's winter batch, uh, to tell us about his new startup. Brandon, welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, thanks for coming back for round two with Pod Rocket. Thank you. It's great to be back. Um, so really exciting times for you. A lot of things going on that we could talk about from product design to fundraising. Um, but let's just start by by talking a little bit about flight control. What is it? Uh, what problems are you solving? And, and why should I want this product in my life? Sure. So flight control makes it easy for developers to deploy scalable, secure applications without any DevOps. And so the like if you've you've probably heard about Heroku things like that. So essentially, we we provide a Heroku like developer experience, but directly on your own AWS account. And so the big problem we solve is the the scalability and limitations of things like Heroku, um, and uh, just the the limitations around configuration um, and stuff that a lot of these uh, platforms like Heroku are just too simple and restrict you too much. Yeah, and. And so I'm really curious about how you sort of came to this idea. Like, how did you get to, you know, feeling like there was enough of a niche or enough of a need from developers to be able to thread that needle between maybe the sort of simplicity of a, of a platform like Heroku and the full-on flexibility, but also the complexity of just managing your own AWS resources? Like, was that something you found through your own work, through working with other developers? Where did that all come from? So I, I had experienced the, the problem myself personally, um, but the, the real kind of motivator was since I previously created Blitz.js, I, I noticed that a lot of Blitz users had the same problems. And, you know, I, I come from this background, like there's this spectrum um, of w in development, right? All across development, there's a spectrum between making something like really easy to use, uh, but like highly abstracted versus you know, low level abstraction, uh, full power and control, but most of the time that's difficult to use. And I started out on this journey, like on, on the side of, you know, I just wanted it to be really easy to use. And I didn't want to think about CPU and memory and like, and all this stuff. I just, you know, just want to click a button and just have my app deployed. Um, but I've, I, I, I ran into like the problems of that approach. It's like, you know, like no matter how much you want to just ignore um, things like CPU and memory for your, your app, like you're, you have to know about it. Like, unless you have a tiny side project where like nothing's actually happening, but as soon as you get like, you know, real users, like you just can't get away from that stuff. Even if it's serverless functions or whatever, like you, there's, there's just a fundamental limit or, to, to what you can abstract and you, you have to understand a little bit of that. And so it's like, okay, you know, this, this approach of making things too simple is, is not great. Um, and so we need to try to find a balance between making it simple and easy to use, but also letting you have full power and control. I, I feel like as you were answering that question, you know, and, and mentioning Blitz.js, I was thinking, oh yeah, this sounds like a framework developer sort of talking about, about a problem and, and the simplicity versus, versus customizability. Um, I guess it, it seems like you've spent now quite a bit of your career building tools and, and frameworks for other developers to use. Is that something you sort of 
set out to do intentionally or, or what's kind of drawn you to that work? No, it was a surprise <laughs> to me. So like I've been, I've always been an entrepreneur, always like building things, working, um, you know, side businesses and stuff. Always wanted to like run my own company full time, own software company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was doing consulting for a while cause I didn't really have like a great idea. Um, but then I had this problem like with JavaScript where I just wanted to, I, I missed the Ruby on rails type of developer experience in JavaScript. And so that's what led to me starting Blitz.js. And that just has, you know, took off. Like I, I really tapped into a bunch of pinup demand for that. And it was through that I realized that, oh, wow, like not only do I really like building developer tools, I have a really good knack for it. And so like, well, all right, I guess this is my niche from now on. What um, I, I'm interested in, in sort of like having a knack for developer tooling, like what, what are the things you feel like that you do or that you're interested in that like make that kind of work a good fit for like your personality or, or your skills? Great question. I think uh, one thing is I just have a very low tolerance for unnecessary complexity, for uh, inefficiency, for just stuff. Like if there's something that like, it shouldn't, I shouldn't have to do, like, I don't want to do it, you know? Um, and then I, I think the other, so there, there's like that, that I, I, I really tuned into the pain and the frustration of like, and I have all these ideas, like, it, you know, it doesn't have to be this hard. It doesn't have to be this difficult. It can be, it can be so much better. Um, so I have that motivation side, but then also I, it seems I'm really good at simplifying complex things. Um, and, it's like really hard to do, but a lot of, a lot of times the, the solution is just kind of like, they just flow out of me. Like, it's not like a huge amount of effort for me to, to come up with a simple solution. Mm-hmm. Um, circling back to, to flight control, who do you feel like are the users that you want to find for this platform initially? Like who are the people who are going to get value from this tool? Is it freelancers? Is it sort of web shops? Is it small startups? Like who do you see as the people who are best positioned to take advantage of, of what you're building? All of the above. Um, and to, to add some more color there is if you are using Heroku or Render or Railway, then yes, we're absolutely, um, we believe a better fit for you for you know now and in the future as you scale your company, but especially as you scale, right? Um and, but yeah, really anyone that's running a web app or deploying a static site, um, you know, we can handle all of those. You don't have to know anything about AWS in order to use flight control. Um, so it's super easy to use, but, um, since you bring your own AWS account, then you have the ability to pop the hood and leverage the raw power of AWS should you need to, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe you end up hiring a DevOps person somewhere sometime, um, to do more advanced stuff around security scaling, but you have the option, which is something you do not have with, with the other platforms. Mm-hmm. I'm as, as somebody who's done a little bit of DevOps stuff in the past, my sort of, you know, initial reaction of it is, Oh God, what happens when somebody goes and like rescales one of the machines or turns it off and, and turns it on again? How do you sort of manage the complexity of, you know, users accessing resources through flight control, but also having access to, you know, the platform themselves and, and being able to sort of go in and, and press buttons and, and change the state of the resources they're using? So the the core um, powerhouse be, behind our, our system is temporal. 
It's a technology that came out of Uber for managing complex backend workflows. And it's sort of like, it, it brings a, the simplicity, of, you know, like how async await um, simplified promises and callbacks and, you know, and all that type of stuff. So Temporal does the same type of thing to backend workflows. So instead of manually managing queues and scheduled jobs, Temporal kind of lets you just write your code like, like normal synchronous code, but it's actually async running on multiple machines over multiple days, like whatever you need. Um, and it's, it's just super, like, it, it's crazy the amount of complexity that, that it, it like there, okay, let me put it this way. There's so many things in our backend processes that I'm just like, it seems like it'd be so likely to have bugs, right? Because of like, conflicts and state getting mismatched and stuff but temporal just like makes it work <laughs> like there's no bugs it's crazy that's really cool was that a technology that um you had worked with previously did you find that as part of your sort of journey into building this product it was not something we used previously um but I, like i knew about it and so i'm like okay this is we should probably use this because uh you know we're gonna need some help here and um, yeah, so it was an open source technology out of Uber and now Temporo is like the company around it. Um, it's, yeah, I would highly recommend it, but it is, it is heavyweight. So it's like a tank. It's like driving a tank. It's, you know, there's a learning curve. Uh, it's heavy. It's not like especially nimble, you know, um, but the power and the, the robustness you get from it is like unparalleled. I, I, another thing I'm curious about is, you know, the platform as a service pass landscape in general. You know, you mentioned Heroku, one of the OG players. Amazon, you know, within AWS, there's like three or four different pass products. Um, I, I feel like the question I, I always ask when I see a new startup in this space is like, why does the world need another platform? And, and what sort of makes flight control unique beyond simply sort of being more customizable or, or more flexible than, than maybe another offering? So Heroku was created, I think it's 15 years ago, which is like wild to think about. Um, and and they they like really, as far as I know, um, either innovated, like created this, invented this this thing where you fully abstract AWS, and it's just a very simple um, you know service to use for deploying deploying applications. And that wasn't previously that wasn't like the the case, and so they just made a. Um, deploying things so much more accessible to so many people. Um, but like over, over the, you know, the last five, 10 years, developer experience has become so much more important. Um, and so there's pressure on these platforms to, to make an actual better developer experience. Um, but also applications and things have gotten a lot more complex. And so you need to do more things. Um, and then there's also this, the scaling part. Like there's so many, um, you know, companies like Instacart, for example, that started on Heroku, but they reach a point of scale at which Heroku breaks. And so they have to migrate out to AWS. And it's like, it's just happens over and over and over. And so it's like, wait a minute, why does this keep happening? Like nobody has solved this. Like everybody tries to create the next Heroku, right? Like there's been so many companies trying to be the next Heroku, but no one has achieved it yet. Um, and the big thing is because they, most of them try to fully abstract AWS. And so you still have that fundamental scaling limitation because Heroku has a custom layer of infrastructure between you and AWS. And so there's an extra like, you know, lossy layer there. Uh, but with flight control, 
It's just pure AWS. And so we solve that. Um, but not only do we just solve the scaling thing, it's also really easy to use, which is, you know, very difficult to, to do. Um, so we have people telling us that, like, we are 10 times uh, easier to use than, like, one of our closest competitors. We have people saying, like, yeah, we don't have to know anything about AWS. But as you use flight control, you start to learn more about AWS. And so that, like, they like that because we don't, like, we, like, we surface some of the underlying stuff, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, it's like um, the, like, another thing is people are, end up needing to use, like, some service from AWS, whether it's for, you know, hosting files or, like, maybe they want to use DynamoDB or, like, something eventually. And so then they have an app deployed somewhere else and then some other thing on AWS. Um, and so like what they, when they look, look at flight control, they're like, wow, I can get the same exact developer experience that I have on this other platform, but directly on AWS and then everything is all together. And I can use my free AWS credits, like total no brainer. Mm-hmm. As I'm sort of thinking about what else has happened in the past 15 years, it, it also seems like with the rise of sort of DevOps as a, concept, there's a lot more engineers who are primarily engineers, primarily focused on writing code and, and building applications, but who are at least a little bit comfortable with infrastructure, a little bit comfortable sort of deploying code, rolling back. Um, and so it seems like there may be sort of a whole group of engineers, you know, who just didn't exist 15 years ago, who want to take advantage of, of something like flight control, where it doesn't get in their way, but you can be a little bit closer to the underlying toolkit and the, like the underlying platform. Yep, for sure. And one thing that, that we do uh, really well at is we have an infrastructure as code feature that is designed for normal app developers, not for DevOps. So like there's things like Terraform and Pulumi that's infrastructure as code designed for DevOps. So it's, it, you have to know like AWS and DevOps um, is it's very hard to use, right? Uh, but our infrastructure as code is a simple JSON file that allows you to define your services so you can have like multiple environments and then multiple services within each environment. So like a database, a web server, a static site. Um, eventually, uh, we'll be adding like Redis and background processing. And so it's really easy to, to just use and configure those for, for any normal app developer. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it, you can do so many powerful things around like service dependencies and be like, hey, I need this my server to deploy before my Next.js front end actually builds because the Next.js uh, build has static props and so it needs to fetch the data at build time. So we solve things like that too. Yeah, and is that is that based on any existing sort of infrastructure as code tool or technology or are you guys building that from scratch? From scratch, yeah. Interesting. And And was that something you decided to do because you sort of felt like just none of the existing technologies were sort of the right abstraction or like speaking the right language for developers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's nothing that is like at this level of abstraction, um, and like it's relatively, like it's it's just configuration, right? In a in a file, you know. So it's not like we're like making some new programming language or whatever. It's just JSON config. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you avoid all of the problems that you have with something like Terraform of managing state files, and, and there's a bunch of complexity where it's it's powerful, but then you have to learn all this specific domain knowledge to you know use it safely and, and effectively. Right. Um, 
I thought we might also talk a little bit about um, some of your sort of startup journey and, and experience at Y Combinator, since you guys, um, I think just within the last couple of weeks, came out of the, the winter batch. Um, I guess maybe a, a good place to start. I'm curious, you know, how you ended up at at YC and, and what that experience is like in 2022. I know it's kind of very different now that there's the pandemic and I think it, it largely happens remotely. Um, so what's that experience like? So we decided to apply to YC uh, last fall. We were, we were like trying to raise a funding round, uh, but it wasn't going very well. And we're like, well, okay, let's just apply to YC, see what happens. Um, didn't expect much. Uh, but then I, I met a, a YC alumni that was really excited about what we were doing. And they went in and like recommended us, flagged us as like somebody that YC should talk to, interview us. Um, and so then we, um, on Monday morning, it's been like last fall, we got an email inviting us to interview on Wednesday. And we were like, oh, wow, like we're actually interviewing. Like this is amazing. Because I had applied uh, twice previously with other ideas, like in the in the past years. Um, so it's like, you kind of just expect to apply and like not hear anything back. <laughs> um, but so we interviewed and we got in, um, and we were super excited. Um, and yeah, so the, we've been, the actual batch was, uh, January to March this year. And it, uh, is just so much more than I even expected. Like, I just have so much respect for what YC has built. Like the, the advice that you get, the, the one-on-one mentorship with your partners um, and the, the custom tailored advice for your company, all of the, the batch events, listening to, you know, these battle stories from, from other successful founders from like Stripe and Airbnb. Um, and then just how they totally flip the cat and mouse game on his head with investors. So, now that you're in YC, suddenly investors are chasing after you. And then they have this, you know, demo day at the end where it's like, all right, like everybody is fundraising at the end um, and everybody's talking to all these investors. And so you have so much leverage as a founder because investors, the only thing investors are scared about is other investors. And so when they know you're talking to a bunch of other investors, like you can, you can just like do fundraising so quickly and they're like, um, because like a typical fundraising process will drag out for like a month or two. But with YC, it can happen in just, you know, a few weeks. I, I guess I'm curious also, I know like YC is very deliberately a short, like three month, incredibly intensive period um, where you're sort of growing and meeting investors and working on your product. Um, I guess one, how do you just stay sane uh, during that sort of intense period? And, and two, you know, how did, did you and your co-founder decide who was going to sort of do what and, and sort of focus on what parts of the product, the fundraising, the, the growth story? Uh, so second question first, uh, we're both doing everything, essentially. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess overall, like, like I'm the, so I'm the CEO, I'm, I'm, I'm better at um, the product design, marketing, um, and sales. And my co-founder Mina is the one that's building out all the AWS stuff. Like he's the DevOps guy. Like I, I AWS, you know, still terrifies me a bit. <laughs> um, I think it terrifies my co-founder too, you know, but. <laughs> a healthy, yeah. healthy mix of respect and fear. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and so for the most part, he's just like building out the, the backend stuff. He's also helping doing onboarding and support calls. 
Um, but yeah, we're basically just, it's like, um, you just do what you have to do. You just stay focused, you know, and build as for how do we stay sane? It's like something I learned early on with blitz is I, I kind of was forced to learn how to manage my own psychology. And it, it, like it's really tough. Like in the early days of Blitz, um, you know, Blitz is growing, but then Redwood gets announced and I'm like, oh no, like Redwood is just going to totally, do, you know, destroy us. <laughs> and you have all these emotions about like competitors and, and market and and like um, things. And you, you just have to like get really focused on your inner confidence about like what you're doing, where you're going. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. Like, um, there's just because there's a competitor like in the the same space doing like similar to what you're doing there's the market is huge right and like everybody doesn't want the same thing you know and so now like we have a great relationship with redwood it's it's great because they have like graphql and so it's like if you want graphql then use redwood if you don't then then blitz and so it's like everybody gets what they want right (laughs) um so yeah it's just we had that we had to stay like and we still do as a startup very intentional on a daily and weekly basis around how am i how are my stress levels doing like if i'm stressed stress comes from whenever you want something to be different than it actually is and so to resolve the stress it's just a mind thing all you have to do is just accept the current reality as it is like to truly accept it, like, yeah, like this is not the end state I want to be in, but I accept that today is how it is. I'm not growing as fast as I want, or I'm not being able to ship as much features as I want to ship, but it's okay. I just have to accept it and it will change, you know, and, and do what you can to make it change, but you have to accept that reality. So it's like this duality is a super big thing in, in, in my life. It's like two different things that seem to be opposites, but you have to accept them both at the same time. Is that, do you feel like that's kind of a consistent theme from other startups you, you talked to and, and worked with? Like, is that just kind of the experience of being a founder? Do you feel like it's like very different from person to person? The, the stressors um, and stuff are, are very common. Um, mm-hmm. I think most people do not manage the stress of a startup very well. <laughs> a lot of people end up burning out. A lot of people... Um, kind of go too hard on it. Yeah. And just like, don't manage the stress. I think it's super important to really get a good grasp on your own stress. Like that's how you're going to win over the long term. Yeah. I think something that honestly comes up nearly every time we, we talk to people sort of doing open source or, or in early stage companies is sort of managing burnout and, and managing your stress level and, and being able to sort of do something over the long term, not just for a few weeks at a time. Do you have any other sort of like thoughts or, or tips or things you would want to pass on to people who like might be, you know, in the, in that same boat a few months from now? Um, and, and what you would recommend for how they sort of manage that stress and that experience? I think it all comes down to self-awareness. Like you have to be extremely self-aware to know yourself, right? Cause there's not like burnout comes in so many different ways to different people. It's not like the same thing, right? Um, and so you just have to be super self-aware of, about how are you doing? Like, are you getting burned out? Like, how are your energy levels? Um, and like for me, my, for myself, it's whenever I start not being excited about 
working. It's like, oh, like this is a drag. It's like, okay, I need to let off the gas a little bit. You know, I need to go do something else totally not work related. Um, but overall, like I, I strive really hard to have a full day off work every week. Like that's almost a non-negotiable for me unless it's, you know, sometimes I need to put in a couple hours on that day for if there's some big deadline that or something. Uh, but for the most part, I have a whole day off work. Um, I make sure to do um, working out like, you know, four to six times a week. Um, I do rock climbing. I, I like, I'm a pilot, so I, I, and I fly. And so I have these things that I like, I really love to do outside of work. And so I make sure that I keep those in my life. Um, even though, yeah. So like, and then overall, my philosophy is work hard, play hard. I, another thing I think is, is maybe interesting as a, as a fellow podcaster, um, you have been sort of documenting and chronicling your time at, at YC in, in your own podcast. Um, I'm curious, what's, what's the sort of story behind that? Was that something you sort of always had planned to do? Was that something you kind of did at the, the spur of the moment? Um, like, how did you end up doing a, a, a YC podcast? So I, I like started in the bootstrapping world. Um, and there's, there's quite a few podcasts, um, in that world from, from founders and co-founders. Um, a couple top ones are art of product and build your SaaS. And so I was, I always found those super helpful and very inspiring. And I, I just love listening to them. And so I, I always wanted to have my own podcast like that, but I never had a co-founder, uh, until flight control. And so then it's like, at the beginning, we're like, yeah, and we, and he also have have listened to these these other podcasts as well, and so we're like, yeah, let's let's just do it, and it's been super helpful. Like, we don't have that many listeners, but it's it's great for us just to talk about it. It's great to have it documented, and now if we go back like six months and listen to ourselves, it's so funny because you're like, you know, it's you you totally forget like what you what your mind was at. And so it's, it's great to listen. Yeah. I, I'm curious how much you feel like, how much you feel like the podcast is sort of for other people and, and how much you feel like it's, it's for yourself, whether that's just to sort of produce an artifact of like where your head was, you know, when you were recording it, or I guess to just kind of like have a forum to work through like all of the things you're thinking about with, with your co-founder. Um, like, do, do you feel it's like a it's a pretty it's, mix of all of them? Yeah. Like there's yeah. not necessarily one that stands out. Cool. And then I guess my my other sort of question about that is, do you intend to sort of carry this podcast forward? Is this going to be sort of a part of your journey with flight control, you know, um, from now on? Or, or are you kind of planning to give it a pause and and see what happens? Currently, we have no plans to stop it or pause it. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how long it goes. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, is this, is this something that you've heard? Like, has anyone, have any of your users found you through the podcast? Um, or has it been sort of like a, a marketing channel for you? I don't think anyone has found us through the podcast yet. I think, I think more people find us and then find the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, like we don't have, we don't have enough listeners and downloads yet to, to be a marketing channel, but for sure, like it could grow into that. And I guess last Last YC question: If you had to pick like one highlight, one low light, what are your what are your takeaways from from your time doing the YC batch? I'd say the highlight is just getting in, <laughs> just getting accepted to YC it was just such a like amazing feeling. Like, 
like, you know, only 2% of the startups who apply get in. And yeah, so that was, that was just a really good feeling. As far as low light, I can't, I can't really think of any like thing. Like it's like, you know, I would say one, re one regret um, would be not networking enough w before the batch started with my other batch mates. Um, and like the networking with them is, is a bit tough right now. It's all fully remote. Um, I, I think it sounds like starting with the next batch, there's going to be some more in-person components. Like it'll still be mostly remote. Um, and, but yeah, so there's, there's a lot of my batch mates. There's only a few of them that I've actually got to know. Right. Um, and so after the batch, like we'll continue, you continue to build relationships with them. Uh, but yeah, I wish I would have done that a bit more. Another thing maybe to check in on with you is, um, is Blitz.js. I know there's still, there's still some stuff going on there. Um, I'm curious, you know, if you want to give us an update on what's happened since the last time we've talked about it um, and, and what's coming up next. Sure. So I think last time we talked, it was probably before we uh, actually made the fork of Next.js. Um, and so our original, like how we had built it, um, we would we had a custom compiler that compiled your Blitz code into a Next.js code base. Um, and we reached the limits of that and we decided to fork Next.js and move the logic directly into Next.js. Uh, that ended up killing our momentum. And we just kind of stagnated our growth last year. We just we just got bogged down, like keeping up the date with Next.js and various headaches around the, the fork and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's just like was not working. Um, and so in December, we decided to pivot Blitz from an all-in-one framework to be a framework agnostic toolkit that you can add on to Next.js, any Next.js app um, or any JavaScript application. Um, but we're starting with for Next.js, like highly, highly tailoring that experience. And so the end result is that you, you will still get the same developer experience as you had before, but you will be interfacing with Next.js directly. Um, and you just have the Blitz, like the Blitz authentication, the Blitz zero API layer um, added on top, but still like the same developer experience. Um, so we are almost ready to ship the first version of that. It should be first version, initial version should be shipped by April 18th. Uh, that's for, because I will be giving a talk on it at React Miami. And so we have to have something ready, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's going good. Great, yeah, great way to set a, a deadline for yourself and ensure yes. you uh, you get something done. Um, I'm curious, you know, what what kind of feedback have you have you got on that pivot from um, people in the the Blitz community? Are people sort of excited for this? Are are people apprehensive about it? Like, what are people um, overall? People are very excited. Um, one thing that was like uh, kind of crazy, uh, amazing to me was one person was was really kind of pushing back. They're upset, like, oh no, like I'm going to have to learn Next.js and, and stuff. And I was like, no, like the developer experience is going to be like very much the same. Like, um, and like after I explained it more, they're like, oh, okay. Like, and I found out that they, they had, Blitz was the first thing that they had ever used, like programming. They learned to code with Blitz. And so they didn't know what Next.js is or like how similar <laughs> Blitz is to Next. Uh, so that, that was amazing to like learn, like have, to know that people have learned to code using Blitz. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people are, are excited about it. There's a lot of people who um, 
like Blitz, but have not used it yet. And with the Blitz toolkit, now they're like, okay, yeah, now I could actually use this because I don't have to buy all into a fork of Next.js. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, and how are you sort of envisioning balancing flight control and, and Blitz.js going forward? So um, currently, like Blitz is our kind of a distribution channel for flight control. Like a lot of people, a lot of our initial flight control customers are all because they know about Blitz. Um, and so, you know, we'll continue to invest in Blitz. Um, and right now we have two, we have two maintainers. Um, flight controls is paying for two maintainers to work on Blitz. Uh, they're both, uh, yeah, some of them are helping on, on flight control as well. Um, but yeah, we're continuing to, to make Blitz, um, really great and you know we want to succeed over the long term i think there there could be a chance that we would spin it out into like a separate job into the javascript foundation or something like that in the future um but yeah we we were like we're long term committed to making success making it successful and seeing it become you know all that it can be yeah that's exciting to hear excited to see the sort of next evolution of blitz um Really excited to hear about about flight control. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for for joining us today. Uh, Is there anything you would like to point our listeners to? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at FlyBear. You can link to my podcast. Um, It's called Flight Review, flightreview.fm. And uh, flightcontrol.dev is is there. And I'd love to have you try out flight control. Um, if you have any issues, let me know. Like, and I'm more than happy to manually onboard you to Flight Control as well. If you have, if you're already p- deploying somewhere and you want some help, you know, migrating your production application over, let me know. We'll be more than happy to help. Thanks so much. We'll see you online. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.